Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Just want to share with you a little bit about the subject, the title that I named it is What Child Is This? Uh, but before I get into that, just want to maybe reiterate something I said this morning. If you were not here, would you mind raise your hand this morning if you weren't with us here this morning? Okay, so we have quite a few that were not here. Um, and this morning I just kind of talked about the wonderful life of Jesus. I kind of compared it to uh, George Bailey and It's a Wonderful Life. And basically talked about what it would be like on earth if Jesus had never come. And I just encourage you to pick up maybe the CD because it's really important to look at it from that perspective. What would life be like right now on earth if Jesus never came? And it's really an eye-opener, so just to let you know that. But also I shared this quick testimony uh, to kind of explain the incarnation. See, the incarnation is a revelation of God's love in its length. To what length would God go to redeem us, to save us? To rectify what took place in Adam. What length would he go? And that's found in the fact that he became a man. He left his glory world behind and he came to this earth and robed himself in flesh. And that's kind of hard for us to understand. Basically many don't understand it. And there are many atheists out there I understand it. And agnostics out there that don't understand it. But just to give us a little bit of a picture. I shared with uh, them this morning. There was a fella. It was a cold Christmas Eve. Snowing similar to what it is tonight, his family was about to go off to church and his wife asked him one more time and said, would you come to church with us this evening? And he said, no, you know, I don't believe in that God becoming a man stuff. And so you just go ahead and go and have a good time and I'll see you when you come back from church and all that. So he's sitting by his fireplace in his easy chair. He's reading his newspaper and just relaxing when all of a sudden he hears birds crashing against his window pane and one dies the other one dies and he's an activist he's an animal activist he loves uh, the outdoors he loves animals he loves birds and he so he runs out the door and he puts on his overcoat as he goes and he gets around to the backyard where he sees them hitting the window pane and he is panicking he wants to get them into a place of refuge and safety and so he throws up the garage door the heated garage that he has opens up the door and he tries to direct the birds to get into the garage where it's warm and they can be protected and cared for. Well, he's doing this to no avail. He just can't get them to go. He can't direct them to get in there. So what he does is he just stands there and kind of starts thinking. And he says, man, if I could just become a bird, I can help them. I can lead them here to safety and warmth and security. And at that moment, the church bells ring. And when he hears those church bells ring, he stops in his tracks and says, Oh my, I can't become a bird, but I see it now. God can become a man. He became a man to direct me into his love, into the safety of his family. I see it now. And he got on his knees before God. And of course, I believe God's saving grace was right there to meet him. But basically, that's what it really is. What we're celebrating here tonight is something amazing something that 
Paul said is unspeakable. You can't describe it. You can't explain it. You can't possibly express it. And you can't articulate it. God becoming a man. Look at our verse tonight in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. It says, For unto us, unto whom? Unto us a child is born. That's humanity. Unto us a son is given. That is deity. So here he's prophesying. Now prior to this in chapter 7 verse 14 he talked about the virgin shall conceive and bring forth the son and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel being interpreted God with us. And here we see him prophesying again saying unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty God the everlasting father the prince of peace and of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. That's pretty sure when you can hear him say that. He will perform it. And he did, did he not? Amen, he sure did. Well, we've gathered to remember and to celebrate the birth of the most wonderful person who was ever born and celebrate the most wonderful life that was ever lived in the person of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about it. Uh, when you're born into the world, was a host of angels surrounding in, you know, your, where you were born, whether you're in, in your home or the hospital, and just announcing that you've been born? Now, I don't think I can think of anybody that had that happen. What about you? No. And what about this? Uh, did you, at any time, have anyone come up with a song to retell your birth? Or a Christmas card to retell your birth? Or anything like that. Did anyone at the beginning of the month, let's just say you were born at the end of the month, at the beginning of the month, everybody went out to the yard, started decorating their houses and their bushes and their trees with lights because it was going to be your birthday? Who else do you know of that was born into this world that receives such attention? Think about it. Starting in, it used to be Thanksgiving. Now it's June. Right? We start this process. And you might say that's because the people want to have a Black Friday and they want to make a lot of money. It doesn't matter to me what their motive is. The fact is this. They are preparing to celebrate the fact that 2,000 years ago, the Son of God was born into this world. And they're beginning at that point, yeah, to prepare to make themselves some money. But little do they know that they are acknowledging the fact that he was born and we are celebrating his birth. And he who came to this earth did what God sent him to do, completed the work of salvation and redemption for mankind so that you and I could have life in him and have it more abundantly. And so we know that this happened 2,000 years ago. Who else can you think of, praise God, that has Christmas pageants and programs like we had here and other churches have had around the world to celebrate the fact that someone was born into the world? He is a unique individual because he is the God-man, the Son of God and the Son of Man. Jesus, humanity, Christ, deity, fused together in a hypostatic union to become the God-man walking upon the face of the earth. So what would be the reason for his coming into the earth? Because man could not save himself. Man would be lost for an eternity. 
and spend an eternity in the lake of fire if it were not for the sacrifice that he made. You see, his blood was the only blood because it housed the only blood that's the right blood type for every kindred, tongue, people, and nation on the planet. He's the only one that can properly say, I'm the way, truth, and life, and no one can come to the Father except by me. He is the only way to the throne of God. That's it. There's only one way to eternal life, and that's through Him. And you might say that's narrow-minded, but you know what? I'd rather walk the straight and narrow than the wide and the broad, which is the way that leads to destruction. Many think that there are many other ways, but there's only one that ever had blood in his veins that was not tainted with the Adamic sin nature. And that was Jesus Christ. It took the Son of God, not an angelic being, not an archangel, not a cherubim, not a seraphim. It took the Son of the living God to come into this earth, provided for by the Father a body to live in so that he could take your place and taste death for you and for me on that cross and his suffering the wrath of God when he died. He did that. He tasted that for all of us. So we wouldn't have to taste it. And so if we taste it, it's going to be our fault and not His. And that's why it's urgent that you and I let other people know this isn't just a holiday. Oh, I don't know what it does to you. This irks me, all this holiday stuff. They want to make it a holiday tree, not a Christmas tree. They want to, It's all about a holiday. Well, let me ask, what is the holiday? There would be no holiday if there was no Christmas. There would be no Christmas if Christ was not born. And so, praise God, what child is this that he gets all this attention, that he's honored? That think about this. We date time from his birth. Think about that. When you were born into the world, was it a time stopper? Did you get that kind of attention? I don't think so. But we date time based on his birth. Hallelujah. And how can we in our culture want to turn our backs on that and pretend like it didn't happen, it didn't exist? Well, in number one, I'm going to talk about this child. What child is this? In John's Gospel, chapter one, this child is the embodiment, the embodiment of the grace and truth of God. Look at the verse. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When he was born into this realm, into this world by that virgin birth, he was born full of grace and full of truth. You see, the grace of God is this. You and I couldn't fulfill the law. We could never fully obey God but God in his grace in his mercy he sent the second Adam to do what the first Adam could not do and so he sent his son full of grace and full of truth to take our place to satisfy the claims of justice held against mankind by doing what we could not do he came to fulfill the law not to destroy the law and thank God, because he did, we're no longer under the law, but we're under grace. Aren't you glad? So who is this child? He's the embodiment of grace and truth. And remember when he stood before Pilate and he said, I've come to bear witness to the truth. And Pilate said, well, what is the truth? And then he walked away. He should have waited for the answer. Jesus would have said, you're looking at the truth right now. I'm the embodiment of the truth. 
Think about it. He made heaven, earth, and seen all that in it is. He made you and he made me. Nothing in this world was made without him. Everything was made by him. So I think he knows a few things. What about you? Number two, he is the embodiment of the love of God. Oh, think about this. God loves us so much that he wanted to communicate to us his love. So he sent his love in a human body. Jesus is love personified. And within him, we have a revelation of the breadth, the length, and the depth, and the height of God's love. Look at Ephesians in chapter 3, verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints. Well, what is it you want me to comprehend, Lord? What is the breadth and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now that's a revelation, isn't it? But notice the four endless, boundless dimensions of the love of God. The breath of God's love is revealed in the fact that He loves the world. When Jesus came, He came for all people groups of the world. Red, yellow, black, and white, doesn't matter. You're precious in His sight. And so He came. The breath means all the world, and we should love the world the same way. But also there's the length of God's love seen in the incarnation, how he had to become a man in order to communicate that love to mankind. And he did. He introduced his love to us. But it doesn't stop there. There's the depth of God's love revealed in Christ. All this is revealed in Christ. His sacrifice upon Calvary's cross, which makes his life unspeakable and expressible was that he tasted death for every one of us. That's a revelation of the depth of God's love. But then the height of God's love. God who is rich in mercy. With his great love wherewith he loved us. Even though we were dead and since has he raised us up together. And made us sit together with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He lifted us up with him and placed us with him in the heavenly sphere. You talk about the height of God's love. And Peter said, you know what? When you've got him in your heart, it produces a joy unspeakable. You can't express it. You can't articulate it. You can't utter it. You can't describe it. You can't explain it when you get saved on the inside. It's there, praise God. And so in Christ, we find the embodiment of the love of Almighty God. Greater love is no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, and that's what he did. And then thirdly, we also have the embodiment of God's glory. The glory of God. Mm. To see the glory of God, you've got to look to Christ. That's where we find Look at the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews in chapter 1. And this is from the Amplified Bible. The classic version of the Amplified Bible. In many separate revelations, each which set forth a portion of the truth. And in different ways God spoke of old to our forefathers in and by the prophets. But in the last of these days he has spoken to us in the person of a son. Whom he appointed heir and lawful owner of all things. Also by and through whom he created the worlds and the riches of space and the ages of time. He made, produced and built and operated and arranged them in order. He is the sole expression of the glory of God, the light being, the outraying or radiance of the divine. 
And he is the perfect imprint and very image of God's nature, upholding and maintaining and guiding and propelling the universe by his mighty word of power. When he had, by offering himself, accomplished our cleansing of sins and radiance of, and riddance of guilt, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is Christ. He is the full expression of the glory of God revealed on earth. And so as we read the Gospels, we can receive from what we read the very radiance of the outshining of the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. He came so that he could bring him out into the open. In John's Gospel 1 and verse 18, that's exactly what it says. He came to bring the invisible God into the realm of visibility. Oh, and if you can only see beyond his flesh to his spirit, it's even incomprehensible to imagine what we would see. But you know what? On the Mount of Transfiguration, when he was transfigured before his disciples, the three that were there with Elijah and Moses, they got a glimpse of the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And then number four, who is this child? He is the divine embodiment of the Godhead. In the book of Colossians in chapter 2 and verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity or the Godhead continues to dwell in bodily form, giving ex complete expression of the divine nature. We want to know what God is like. We want to know what the Godhead is like. All we have to do is look to Jesus. Can you imagine following Jesus through the Gospels as he walked the shores of Galilee and he did the marvelous things that he did among the people? Oh, I'm talking about multiplying loaves and fishes. We're talking about walking on water, speaking to the wind, the waves, and the sea. We're talking about speaking to the dead and they come back to life again. We're talking about the blind eyes see, the deaf ears hear, the lame walk, and the maimed are also made whole. As we walk with him on the shores of Galilee, we're not talking about an ordinary man born into this realm. We're talking about the son of a living God. We're talking about God manifest in the flesh. Who is he? Oh, praise God. He's more than normal ordinary I'll tell you right now he's extraordinary can you say amen and then uh, finally he's the embodiment of the greatness of God God's greatness is found in him look at Isaiah 9 6 again look at the revelation now first of all as we look at this verse of scripture we're going to point out two things that are very important for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace Whenever you hear that someone is pregnant, what are the two usually outstanding things you hear from people? Even if it's your own wife, you want to know the gender and you want to know the name. Got to come up with a name. We're quick to find out the gender and we want to know the name. Well, guess what? Mary didn't have to do any guessing whatsoever. Mary, you're going to bring forth a son and you're going to call his name. Jesus, Emmanuel, God who is with us, or as we just read, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, that's his name. It's all going to be right there, okay? We're going to see that. So, here we have a revelation of the greatness of God. First and foremost, what is his name? Wonderful Counselor. Are you confused tonight? If you are, I've got great news for you. 
You have a wonderful counselor, wonderful meaning that he's extraordinary in counsel. He's got wisdom beyond what we can imagine. I think he has a little bit of experience because in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Think about that. He was so smart, he knows how to walk on water. He's so wise, praise God, he can raise the dead. And the list goes on and on. But he's a wonderful counselor. We're talking about who he is. Who is he? A wonderful counselor who's equipped and qualified to advise us and counsel us no matter what it is that we're going through in life. But then after that, he's also what? The mighty God. We're talking about really, if you want to put it in our terminology today, he's our superhero. And that's exactly what this meaning of the word is. Superhero. Mighty God. He has proven himself to be mighty God. You know why? He conquered death. He conquered hell. He conquered the grave. We're not talking about conquering some of these like video game characters and all that sort of thing. Sometimes I think, you know, we think of the society in which we live today in our culture and all that. You know, if we uh, score a touchdown, we're some... I don't know about you. I have to admit something. Can I admit this to you? It irks me when I see someone do a dance when they score a touchdown. Really? Honestly? Act like you've done it before. It's a touchdown. Okay? Or you make a tackle and you've got to run halfway down the field and do your gyrations and all that. Sometimes I'm sitting there going, I hope they call the place so quickly they're offside. He's offside. He doesn't get back onside in time. Play the game. We're not talking about sports here. We're talking about life and death. We're talking about demons, devils, and the works of darkness. He came, praise God, as a baby. But I'm telling you, he's coming again as the Lord, captain of our salvation. And he's not coming as a baby. He's coming with judgment in his hand and mouth. You see, he's the mighty God. Hell couldn't hold him down. The grave couldn't hold him down. Demons couldn't hold him down. He's the mighty God. And then he's the everlasting father. Oh, what terminology. This is part of his name. You re realize that there's like over 200 references in the Bible regarding who Jesus is, about his name, all the names. Alpha, Omega, beginning, and first, and last. Bright and morning star. And the list goes on and on and on. We'll get to that in a moment. But... He's the everlasting father. Everlasting means eternal. He is forever a father. Forever a father to you. Forever a father to me. And what does he do? As a father, he takes up his role and responsibilities. And he loves us. And he cares for us. And he provides for us. He protects us. He sustains us. Praise God. He sees to it that all of our needs are met. Oh, he gives us all that we need, praise God, in order to succeed in every area of our lives because he's the everlasting father. And then finally, what is he? He's the prince of peace. What is this child? Who is this child? He's the prince of peace. Don't you just love the way that flows? The prince of peace. Oh, hallelujah. 
What does that mean? See, peace is what we're all looking for. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. We're talking about tranquility. We're talking about rest. We're talking about ceasing from anxiety and worry and fretting and all that. And really the word peace in the Hebrew is shalom. It's a perfect word that means absolute perfection in spirit, in soul, and in body. I don't know about you, but my spirit's right on line. But sometimes my head messes me up. What about yours? And sometimes my body just wants to do its own thing. What about yours? So we're out of whack. Did you know that? We're out of whack. But someday, our spirit, our soul, and our body are going to line up. We're going to be glorified, praise God. We're going to have the life of God in spirit, in soul, in body. And we're not going to walk around messed up any longer, praise God. But he's the prince of all peace. The prince of peace. You know, he said, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give unto you. See, the world can't give you this kind of peace and the world can't take this peace away from you. And so what he wants us to do is acknowledge him and recognize him as our prince of peace. So that we can live our lives in peace. So that we can live peaceably with all men. So his peace can manifest in each and every one of our lives. And you know what? He's earned the title, Prince of Peace. You want to know why he's earned the title? Isaiah 53 and verse 5. Look at what it says. Isaiah 53. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. For you and, and I, for me, for you and me, to, to obtain peace, he had to have all turmoil, all stress, all worry, all anxiety, all being distraught, anything and everything in the realm of um, the, our emotions that was negative and wrong was placed upon him. So what was needful for us to obtain peace, you see, he took to make it possible. And that was part of his suffering on Calvary. So he suffered in spirit, he suffered in soul, he suffered in body. Who is he? He's the Prince of Peace as well. Now, I want to share this with you. Very important. How many of you know the life of Polycarp? One of the fathers years ago, I think he lived in the, from AD 50 to 160, 156, somewhere, somewhere in that time, in late 50s and early, okay. So, um, he was a faithful believer, strong in the Lord, served the Lord all of his life. Well, he was found out, you know, you know, the Roman people didn't like Christians back at that time, you know. You were considered to be food for lions and etc. Well, they discovered where he was at when he was 86 years old. And at the age of 86, they captured him. And the Roman official really didn't mind him. He kind of liked him a little bit. And he said, look, I don't want you to die. But you know what? If you don't renounce Christ and embrace some of our deities, you're going to die. He said, so please, I don't want to kill you. Would you please renounce Christ, deny him and who he is? And with a calm, 
He just said, I'm saying 86 years old. I've served him all my life. He's been good to me and he's my king. Why would I deny someone who's been so wonderful to me and so good to me, so kind to me? And I want to give you his own words, if that's okay. Let me read you his own words. This is what he said. 86 years have I served Christ. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? You threaten fire that burns for an hour and then is quenched. But you know not the fire of the judgment to come and the fire of eternal punishment. Ready for this? Bring what you will. We would say bring it on. He said, look, we're going to feed you the lions or you're going to burn at the stake. He said, bring it on. I'm not concerned about burning for one hour, okay? When I know my Savior is there for me. Okay, well, listen to this. And I'm going to need my glasses for this one. When it was time for him to be a burnt offering to God, he looked up to heaven and he said, Oh Lord, God Almighty, the Father of your beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the knowledge of you, the God of angels, powers, and every creature, and of all the righteous who live before you, I give you thanks that you count me worthy to be numbered among the martyrs, sharing the cup of Christ and the resurrection to eternal life, both of soul and body, through the immortality of the Holy Spirit. May I be received this day as an acceptable sacrifice as you, the true God, have predestined, revealed to me, and now fulfilled. I praise you for all these things. I bless you and glorify you along with the everlasting Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, to whom, to you, with him, through the Holy Ghost, be glory both now and forever. Amen. That was his prayer before they were going to set him on fire. But the fire was lit and the flame blazed furiously. We who were privileged to witness it saw a great miracle. And this is why we have been preserved to tell the story. The fire shaped itself into the form of an arch, like the sail of a ship when filled with the wind and formed a circle around the body of the martyr. Inside it, he looked not like flesh that is burnt, but like bread that is baked, or gold and silver glowing in a furnace. And we smelt a sweet scent, like frankincense, or some such precious spices. Eventually, when those wicked men saw that his body could not be consumed by the fire, they commanded an executioner to pierce him with a dagger. When he did this, a dove flew out, and such a great quantity of blood flowed that the fire was extinguished. The crowd was amazed at the difference between unbelievers and the elect of whom the great Polycarp was sure one, having in our own times been an apostolic and prophetic teacher and bishop of the church in Smyrna. For every word he spoke either has been or shall be accomplished. And so when we talk about the Prince of Peace... When he says, I give you a peace that passes all understanding to keep your heart and your mind in the face of martyrdom, in the face of death, in the face of burning at the stake. Imagine this miracle of God to let all those people know, if I wanted to keep him spared with the fire like I did, you could not take his life. Think about that. It's amazing, isn't it? The fire couldn't burn him. But then, of course, he died the martyr's death when he stabbed him with, the, with a dagger. And there are many such stories of many who long ago walked this way with God.
I don't know about you, but I know about me. And my concern in the day in which we live, there's so much commercialization of Christmas and what it means. Our young people are growing up just thinking that Christianity is just this, you know, flippant thing that we just do it on a Sunday and that sort of thing. Beloved, when I look at the supper and I think about the sacrifice and I think about the incarnation and I think about that's only the beginning and I think about how he lived and I think about how he died and I think about what he suffered and I think about the wrath of God upon him and how I think about that I should have tasted that very death but he tasted it for me. This isn't just another religious service. This is a time of reflection. A time for us, not just to say Christmas is tomorrow, so let's exchange gifts. Because you see, Christmas is all about giving. God gave His Son. The Son gave His life. We give ourselves. That is truly what Christmas is all about. Giving ourselves to each other, to one another, as a sacrifice before God to benefit other people, to be a blessing to other people, and to help other people along life's path. That is the true meaning and message of what Christmas is all about. What child is this? I'll tell you who he is. He's the Lord of heaven. He's the maker of heaven and earth. He is the one, the only one, that can redeem man from his fallen state. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is the Savior from all sin. He is the healer of all sickness and disease. He's the deliverer from all that would bind us. He is our rising up. He is our lying down. He is our coming in. He is our going out. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is of the Root of David. He is the Wonderful Counselor. He is the Mighty God. He is the Everlasting Father. He is our Prince of Peace. He is the one that Herod could not kill. He is the one that Satan could not entice to sin. He is the one that opened up the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. He's the one that made the, the lame to walk and the maimed to be made whole. He is the the one that loosed the tongue of the, of the dumb and they could speak and they could sing. He is the one who went to the cross. He is the one who suffered and died. He is the one that hell could not hold bound and captive. He is the one that the grave could not hold down. He's the one that death had no power over because he arose victorious over it all. Who is he? The son of God, the son of man, the son of righteousness, the babe that was born in Bethlehem. He's the savior of the world. He's the Messiah. Hallelujah. Who has come in the flesh and he's our Savior, our Redeemer, and our Lord. And we're here tonight to celebrate one aspect of His life, and that's His birth. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound. And through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. 
With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence to God first and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you and God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. And I'll accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get to a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.